If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 23. First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as a local body of believers. Father, I pray that this morning that our focus would be on you, that we would put all the things that have happened this past week and will happen this next week, help us to put those aside, and rather for this moment, for this, these minutes, to be able to focus on you alone and to glorify and to love you above all else. Father, help us to hear you Help us to listen to you and then go from here being doers of your word. Thank you that your word is sufficient for all of life. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to finish our series in 1 Thessalonians that when I've had the opportunity to preach that we have been in. So we'll finish that this morning. And as I previously said, the theme of 1 Thessalonians is encouraging the faithful. Paul and his companions are seeking to encourage this young church to, uh, to remain faithful, to continue doing things well that they have been doing, and to take some steps forward in some areas they need to grow in. And so as we close this book, as we come to the end of it, we see Paul doing that very same thing in these verses, encouraging a faithful church to remain faithful. And uh, this morning we're going to focus primarily on verses 23 and 24, but that's not to say that verses 25 through 28 are not important. We're going to talk about those, but we want to focus on verses 23 and 24. And in verses 25 through 28, we see some interesting commands, some helpful, encouraging commands to the church at Thessalonica. First, in chapter 5, verse 25, we see Paul asking the church to pray for him and his missionary team. Paul values prayer. Paul believes that their prayers will help him to remain faithful, as in verses 23 and 24, Paul prays for these Thessalonian believers. And so Paul asks them to pray because he believes prayer is vital to their ministry and his ministry. Uh, The truth is, you and I are not sufficient. We are not enough to serve in the areas in which God has given us to serve. We need him. We need his enabling strength and grace as we serve, whether that's with the littlest children or whether that's with adults. We need God's enabling grace and strength. And so Paul prays for them in verses 23 and 24, and then he says in verse 25, pray for us also because he knows the importance of prayer. He needs God's help as do we. 
And then verse 26 is probably the verse that probably jumps out at all of us as we read it because it says an interesting thing that I, to my knowledge, I saw none of you do when you came in this morning. I see some smiles. I was hoping there might be some smiles. Verse 26 says, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I did not see anyone. Now, maybe I missed it, but I did not see anyone greet a fellow member of this church with a holy kiss. So the question we ask is, what in the world is Paul talking about? Well, when Paul was writing, a kiss was used for various purposes. It was for a husband and wife relationship. It was also a, a greeting amongst family members. And uh, that is what Paul is referring to here, this family greeting. Now, I'm not certain that Paul is asking for each of us to, when we walk in this building, to greet each other with a kiss. But I think there's some interesting things. When we think about this holy kiss, what is he talking about? Well, I think first, to clarify, I think the word holy needs to be clarified. What is he referring to when he says holy? It's not the kiss that is holy, but it's the one to whom is receiving it is holy. It's among brothers and sisters in Christ. A truly converted person is holy before God. And so, so the greeting is to those who are holy in God, who are set apart to God for his purpose. They are holy because God is holy. The second part is the kiss. Is, is Paul saying we should greet each other with a kiss? Is that what Paul wants from each of us? And therefore, if we do not do that, are we sinning? I think that's an interesting question. I've thought about that a lot as I've thought through this verse. I think rather that, as I said, a kiss could be given for various reasons in the day in which Paul wrote, in which he is speaking to the Thessalonian believers. A kiss was a greeting given to family members, and it was often not on the lips. It actually was often, as I understand it, not even the lips touching the other person's face. It was often cheek to cheek as you may have seen in other places around the world. And so this is the idea that he is, is giving, I believe. It was to show affection for family members. And I think what he is expressing is not so much the kiss, but the greeting one another, greeting other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe today we would use a warm handshake, a friendly handshake or uh, if you're younger, maybe a friendly fist bump or something along those lines that would show you care about the other person. You, you're interested in them. You value them. They're important to you because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because he says, greet all the brothers and sisters. Not just some of them, not just the ones you like, not just the ones you tolerate, but all of them. Greet them in this way. And so hopefully that helps bring some clarity to that interesting verse of uh, greeting one another with a holy kiss. Um, then in verse 27, we see a very firm command. We see a very firm command in verse 27. Paul gives this strong command to teach or to read this letter, this message in which he's given the church to the whole church. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters that are there. He, he wants this read to them. It wasn't just for the cert, a certain group of the believers. If someone was sporadic in coming to the gathering of believers, he wanted this read to them 
as well. Not just those who are faithful, but those who need to be encouraged to be faithful in the church. And so he gives the serious command to them because what he says is helpful, is valuable for them, and will help them progress in their relationship, their walk with God. And then in verse 28, I believe Paul gives a great, great encouragement, a great uh, encouragement as they continue to move forward without the encouragement that, that Paul has for them, without him sending them messages. They, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What a great way to end the letter to say, to ask that, that, that God's grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He gives this to them. The saving grace that they know in Jesus will be with them. As they go, as they seek to continue to be faithful, as they continue to remain faithful, God's grace is going to be there. God's grace is the one that's going to be helping them to do what's been asked of them. What a fantastic way to end this letter to this young church to remain faithful. And the way they will remain faithful is by the grace of God. He encourages with the, them with this. Now, I wanted to express the importance of these verses because they're important. But as I said, we want to spend our time looking at verses 23 and, and 24 because as Paul wraps up this letter to them, he prays for them. And I think what he prays for them is very important even to us to listen into a man who loves these people deeply, to hear his prayer for these people and so that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And as some of you may know, Maggie and I are remodeling our basement bathroom. Some of you have seen that basement bathroom. It wasn't a very nice looking bathroom. But we have taken on the uh, difficult trying adventure of doing it ourselves. And I think trying might be the most uh, hard time. Sometimes I tell people, I am trying to get it done. And, and I think to myself, I'm just trying myself. Uh, that I, that uh, it's just a very difficult uh, thing, and I'm not a handy person with tools. That is just not my, uh, anywhere close to in my wheelhouse for what I know how to do. But I've been, we've been trying to do this. Maggie's much better at it than I am, I'll just say that up front. Uh, and so as we have embarked on this adventure, some have suggested, oh, just watch YouTube videos. They'll teach you everything you know how to do. And, and maybe it's me, maybe it's me, but I don't learn very well from YouTube. I just I have struggled with watching videos, and I'll watch them multiple times. I'll stop it. I'll watch it. I'll start it again, and I'll, or I'll, I'll stop after watching it and work on it, and I'll come back, and I just I don't, I don't get it. And again, maybe it's me. Maybe YouTube videos are very helpful for some people, but for me, it hasn't been helpful. I have struggled with that. And what has been a great help to me is having an excellent general contractor. That's Rob. Rob has been our official general contractor, so speak, really a coach. He's been coaching me and helping me to know what to do. He has not only told me what I need to do and, and, but, and how, but he showed me how to do it. He's given me the tools to be able to do it because, again, I didn't have any tools. My, my tools could be uh, put in a very small toolbox, and that would be all that I have. And so uh, he's helped me to be able to do this well. But it was, it was what was so helpful was that he told me how, and then he helped get me started. And he's like, Pastor Dan, I'm not going to do this for you. And then he would leave. 
and then I'd be stuck to do the rest of it myself, which was a daunting task. But uh, it's coming along, and we're getting there slowly but surely. But what was helpful is that I was showed, I was shown how, and I was given the tools to accomplish the task. Now, as we read God's word, and as we've trust, we trust Christ as our Savior, we can look at the word of God and be so overwhelmed by the commands in Scripture of what we ought to be doing in order to love and follow God. And as the Thessalonian believers read the, this letter to them from Paul, they could have been overwhelmed by what they read in chapter 4 and chapter 5 as to what Paul is calling them on behalf of God to do. Especially the last part, chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. All these little brief commands that he gives could be overwhelming it to them. But the good news is, Paul says in verses 23 and 24, is that God has not left them alone. God has not left them alone to obey the commands in the word of God. He's given them help. He is their help. And the truth that Paul seeks to communicate through this prayer, through this brief prayer, is that God is totally sovereign over your salvation. God is totally sovereign over your salvation. And that's our big idea this morning, that God is totally sovereign over your salvation. God has given the tools and resources to us to help us to abide in Jesus to the end. He's given us all that we need for life and godliness, and we ought to rejoice in God for that. That is good news, because left to yourself, you're insufficient. You are not enough. So let's look at what God's word says as we seek to understand that God is totally sovereign over your salvation. First, God is totally sovereign over your salvation because he will completely sanctify you. He will completely sanctify you. God is the one at work in each of his children to set them apart to holiness. Look at chapter 5, verse 23, just the first part there. Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God is at work. God is in control of your growth. Your spiritual growth is not dependent upon you. God is the one who's going to finish the work that he began. In this prayer for the Thessalonians, Paul states that God is the God of peace. Now I thought to myself, why does Paul, when he's talking about what God is doing on their behalf, why does he speak to, of God as the God of peace? Why not the God of power or faithful love or mercy or grace or holiness or justice? Why the God of peace? That was the question that popped in my mind. Maybe that didn't pop into your mind, but uh, look at this. If, if I'm trying to encourage people with God, the knowledge that God is going to work on your behalf, why the God of peace? I, I spend a lot of time thinking about that, and I believe Paul says the God of peace for the purpose of encouraging this, excuse me, this church with who God is. Paul wants them to love God for who he is, and he wants them to know that God is the God of peace. God is the one who is sovereign over their salvation, their individual salvation, which leads to what? Peace. The God of peace causes peace when we rest in him alone. 
when we realize that our salvation is not dependent upon us. Our growth and holiness is not dependent upon you or me. It's dependent on God. God's the one who's at work in each of us. God is the God of peace for those who are his in Christ Jesus. God gives each of us a calmness and a rest in the truth that we are in God's control. God is peace. I think that's the reason he states above all else that God, the God of peace himself will completely sanctify so Paul prays on behalf of this church, uh, the, the Thessalonian believers, that they will direct their gaze away from themselves and direct that, their gaze to God. This prayer, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Where is, where is the focus of that statement? That focus of that statement is on God. He wants them to look at God. With the commands that he's given to them, look at God. Gaze at him because he is sovereign. And when we rest in the knowledge that God is sovereign, we have peace. We have peace. So the question is, where are we looking? Where is your gaze this morning? Is your gaze, is your focus on yourself and what you can do? Or having things a certain way? Or is it on God? Paul directs them to the God of peace. He relies heavily on the God of peace in his statement here. He says, the God of peace himself, and he uses that word himself to just reiterate the fact that it's God who's doing it. It's emphasis. But what is God doing? He is the one who will sanctify. What does the word sanctify mean? What is Paul saying this God of peace will do for his people? Sanctify is a word that means to set a thing apart to something. It means to set something apart to something. So in these verses, God is setting his people, his children apart for something. What is he setting them apart to? He is setting us apart to holiness, to being sinless, to being godly. God is the one who will set his own apart for holiness. Think about that reality. God is the one who sets you apart for holiness. I could ask the question, are you holy this morning? And hopefully all of you, if you profess faith in Christ, you would say yes. But on the other hand, you might say no. Because you're not with him yet. And the great, great truth is that one day we will be finally holy. Because we will be with him. And so Paul is praying that the God of peace will sanctify the Thessalonian believers to holiness. Paul is asking God to do what really only God can do. And he's praying that the believers would know that it's God who is going to act. God is the one who's going to make them holy. He is the one who makes you holy. God is the one who is at work in, his, in all truly converted people to conform us to the image of his son, as Romans 8, 28, and 29 say. God is the one doing that work. God is making you holy today through his word and through the Holy Spirit's working in us. Paul goes a step further in this, in this statement. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
It's that word completely that I want to focus on for the moment here. God does not begin the process of making you holy at salvation and say, see you at the end. He doesn't like, I'm done. You get there. You get yourself holy. He doesn't do that. God's with us. He will sanctify completely, or maybe your translation says entirely. God is going to do all that needs doing so that you are holy as he is holy. God is at work. He doesn't leave us alone to do it. He sanctifies you in every way. What an incredible God we have in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you ever stop as you read through the scripture and be so amazed at God that you just praise him, that you stop reading, you stop looking at the scripture and you pray and say, God, you are awesome. This short sentence in, our, in the Bible that we have is one of those statements that we have to stop and say, God, you're amazing. You're incredible. You are sovereign over our salvation. And you're going to completely sanctify us. It's an incredible reality to know that we're not left alone. While it's true, as Pastor Chad preached not long ago from Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, it's true we have a part to play in our sanctification. But as Philippians 2, 13 says, it is God who is at work in you to do his good pleasure. It's us working in cooperation with God. We're not left to fend for ourselves, but it's God at work in us. What's your response this morning to the good news of God's sovereignty over your holiness, your sanctification? It ought to lead us to worship and love him more because he hasn't left you alone to do what he calls you to do. God is sovereign. The question is, do you love him for that sovereignty over your salvation? Do you love him? Do you treasure him for that? Second, in verse 23, we see that God is totally sovereign over your salvation because he will wholly preserve you. And the word holy there is W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy preserve you. God is totally sovereign because he will wholly preserve you. God is not a God who initiates salvation and then leaves those whom he calls to live life on their own to live life that pleases and glorifies God. Rather, God will wholly keep you. Look at the rest of verse 23. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Paul's prayer here, he turns to a different aspect of salvation. God's keeping of his own, sound and blameless to the coming of Christ. What an incredible truth. Not only will God be, is God the one who sanctifies, but God's the one who keeps. God is the one who keeps his own. God is going to keep you until we are with him. That is good news. He's not going to lose any. Jesus said that often in the, the Gospels that those who come to him, he will never lose. That's a promise. When you wake up and you feel discouraged and you feel that you're not worthy of the gospel, 
God keeps you. God holds you because you're his in Christ. It's not of our own doing. It's all God. Paul's focus is on God's keeping and preserving of those whom are his in Christ. This preserving is the whole person, not just part of us. And this is really important. Uh, We can often believe that the heart or the soul is more significant to God. And our bodies are just this other part of us that isn't significant. It doesn't really matter to God. We are made up of material and immaterial parts. That's the reality that scripture speaks to. The body, the soul are important to God, not one more than the other. God cares about our whole person. God cares about every aspect of your life. He he does. And Paul emphasizes this, this reality by speaking in verse 23 of our whole spirit, soul, and body being kept until the day of Christ's appearing. Paul is not seeking to split our who we are into three different parts or multiple parts, but rather he's emphasizing the reality that the whole person will be kept. All of us, not just part of us, but the entire person is preserved by God. Those whom God has chosen will be kept. If you are in Christ today, if you have repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as your Savior, God will wholly preserve you sound and blameless until we are with him. The preservation of God on behalf of truly converted people is spiritually whole and healthy. That's what that sound and blameless means. It's whole and healthy with no blame pointed at us. Because why? Because we're sanctified. We're holy in God's eyes. We're sound. We're blameless. Now, how how can this possibly be? How can God do this? How can God preserve sinful people sound and blameless until Jesus comes? How can he do that? That doesn't make sense. God is holy. God is not sinful at all. So how can he accept? How can he receive sinners as his own and keep them? The reality is it's true. God is righteous. And the good news is he makes righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. If you have time today, go read Romans chapter 3, especially verse 26. But not only that, not only is he righteous and makes righteous those who are his in Christ Jesus, but God imputes Jesus' righteousness to us by faith in Jesus alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we get God's, Jesus' righteousness, and Jesus takes our sin and dies on the cross. That's what we get. We are preserved sound and blameless, not because of what you have done or what I have done, but instead because of who Jesus is. Our whole person is preserved for the glory of God alone because of Jesus. Your salvation is not of your own doing. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tell us that. It's not of us. It's all of God. Now, as we look at verse 23, we we wonder, why, why why does Paul say that he will do this keeping work, this preserving work, until or at the day, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does God stop his work in us then? Does he quit? Is he done? 
God will bring us to the point where we are finally saved, where we are with him, made holy in Jesus when he returns. God will finish. Think about that. The holiness that he wants in you will be completed when Jesus comes. Think for a moment about the sin that you so often battle. I struggled with some sin this morning. How often do we struggle with sin and we long for the day, rightly so, when that sin will be removed? There's coming a day when God will finish the work that he is doing within us. We have that promise. Philippians 1.6, God will complete the work that he started in us. He will do that. I just want you to think about the tr- this truth for a moment. Will you think for a moment about the truth that Paul has just communicated? God will wholly preserve you in Jesus, sound and blameless at the coming of Jesus. Just, just think of the reality. How might that impact the way you live the rest of today? What a great and mighty God we have that he will do this keeping work for us. Does this truth, does it not drive us to worship and glorify God for who he is? We ought to be amazed at him because of it. Next, in verse 24, we see God is totally sovereign over your salvation because he has called you. Look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. God chooses those who are his. We do not fully understand this biblical truth, but we trust God that what his word says is true. God calls people to be his in Jesus. He sanctifies and preserves them. As Paul has prayed, he has looked at God's sanctifying work and God's preserving work. And these are, have present and future implications in them. But now in verse 24, Paul looks back at the past to say that God is the one who has called us, on, called us to salvation. And he looks at that calling and the faithfulness of God to encourage the believers at Thessalonica. Paul states that he who calls you is faithful. The he is referring to God. God has been the focus of Paul's prayer. In these two verses, it's all about God. He is directing their gaze to God. This is where his focus has been. Paul is praying for the Thessalonian believers, but Paul is praying to God. God alone calls, sanctifies, and preserves those who are his in Jesus. God's calling of a person is certain because of himself, because he is faithful. If we've repented of our sins and trusted Jesus as our Savior, we can be confident that we are God's. We can be confident that we are God's, and nothing can change that. Nothing we can do can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8 says. We are his. The faithfulness of God is the characteristic of God, which Paul directs these believers' focus, their attention to, when speaking of God's call. 
Again, he doesn't look to the power of God, which you might think of, the power of God to save. He doesn't do that. He looks at the faithfulness of God, that God is faithful. He will do this. He will do what he has promised because he is faithful. God is faithful to call completely. We can often think that we are the ones who chose to trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, but I believe that the Bible teaches that we are totally corrupted and will not choose God left to ourselves. But God calls all to salvation whom he will. Now we must ask, why does Paul look back at God's calling of the Thessalonian believers to encourage them to be faithful, to continue to remain faithful? Why does he look back? At this. And I think the point is that God's sanctifying and preserving work that he talked about in verse 23 are as firm as his calling. They're as certain as God's calling. God's faithful to call. God is faithful to sanctify. God is faithful to preserve. I believe Paul speaks to God's faithfulness in calling believers so to give confidence to these believers that God will do what he has promised to do. We have a promise-keeping God. He is not a God who just says something and then doesn't actually follow through. He totally follows through, always follows through, 100% of the time. He calls to salvation, therefore he will completely sanctify and wholly preserve his children. These are good news. This is good news for his people and it's good news for the Thessalonian believers as they look, as they have just heard the, the commands, the instruction that Paul has given in chapters 4 and 5, they can be encouraged that the, our faithful God is going to enable us to do these. He's going to completely sanctify and wholly preserve. The Thessalonian believers can rest in God's faithfulness to do the work he's promised to do. He will not give up on them or us no matter how often we fail to love and follow him. God is faithful. God is faithful. Do you believe that this morning, that God is faithful? It's, it's a truth that all throughout Scripture that, that God points to the fact that he is faithful to his, to his own. Our salvation is so mind-blowing. When you stop and think of the reality of our salvation... It's so incredible that God would save sinners. None of us deserve a saving relationship with God. Instead, we deserve his holy wrath for sin. But yet God calls to salvation. He completely sanctifies and he wholly preserves his own. Wow. God is awesome. God is incredible. This morning in this little prayer of Paul's toward for the Thessalonian believers, we've seen that God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign, totally sovereign over your salvation to sanctify, preserve, and call. What tremendous truths about our great God. God's going to do the work. And as I said, Paul's writing to this young, small church. And as he does, he wants to encourage them. He wants to strengthen them with the realities that God is a promise-keeping God. He will do his work. He's not going to give up on them. 
the truths about God's sovereignty over their salvation, over our salvation, should be hope-giving and peace to our souls. Do you believe that God is totally sovereign over your salvation? Or do you believe that you must do things on your own, in your own efforts, to sanctify, preserve, and to be God's? God has not left us to our own efforts, to our own strength, to pursue holiness on our own. Nor has he left ourselves to figure out how to be holy all the way until Jesus comes. He's not. Once we are truly converted, we are always converted. But not because of what we've done, not because of what we've said, but because who our God is and what Jesus has done for us. God is the one who works in us to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. Go back, look at what Pastor Chad has preached on when he preached through first, or Philippians 2, 12 and 13. We have a role to play, but it's God who is at work in us. God is the one who's at work in us, conforming us into the image of his son, as Romans 8, 28 and 29 say. Now, all this is not to say that now we can just sit back and, and watch God work. It's not what this is saying. Just as Rob gave me the tools and the, the correct instructions for how to do the various tasks, God is at work in us to help us to love and follow and obey him. God is at work in us to encourage us, to prompt us towards holiness, towards sanctification. We have a role to play, and God has given us his son, Jesus. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and he's given us his word. There is nothing else that we need. So, will you, by grace and faith, rest in the truth that God is totally sovereign over your salvation? Will you rest in that reality that God is totally sovereign over your salvation? It's an incredible reality to know as you sit here today, as you go home, that your salvation is not dependent upon you. It's freeing. It's peace-giving. It's joy. Church, Grace Baptist Church, be encouraged that the Word of God gives us hope and joy because it's God who is at work in you this morning. The struggles that you have are real. The struggles with sin are real, but you're not alone. And God will accomplish his work in you that he began. He will finish it. Father God, thank you for the truth of Scripture that we have looked at this morning. Father, you are an incredible God. You are an amazing God that you would, you would look at us and, and, and say, they are mine. In my son Jesus, they are mine. And you're going to complete the work that you began in us. You are going to do all that we need so that we are holy. We are kept. And we are yours. Father, help us to rejoice in this truth. Help us to, to spend time today just loving you for the reality that you are sovereign. That you don't leave us alone that you're with us always.
Thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. Thank you that you have called us. Thank you that you are and will sanctify us. Thank you that you are and will wholly preserve us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing complete indeed.